Creative Zombie Studios presents the Subjective Comedy Podcast with Brad Scott. Brad Scott is a mediocre comedian from Indianapolis. This is his show. If you don't think it's funny, remember, comedy is subjective. All guests right now for the Subjective Comedy Quarantine Series. Join me on the DIY Joker Skype line. DIY Jokers is a comedy collective started by myself, Brent Hewn and Dave Landau. You can get official merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash DIY Jokers. Right now through the end of April, 100% of all profits will be donated to the staff of the Helium Comedy Club here in Indianapolis. So go pick up some official merchandise and support local entertainment, local comedy club here in Indianapolis for doing so. Uh, my guest today is technically my boss, and he is oh, the... Really? Founder, yeah, the founder and head of Red Curb Media, Red Curb Comedy, uh, Improv Theater in Avon, Indiana. He's best known, though, in the Indianapolis area as producer Will on the number one morning radio show, The Smiley Morning Show, on 99.5, every morning, 5 to 10, Monday through Friday. He is producer Will, Will Faffenberger. Will, thank you for joining us. Hell yeah. Happy to How be are you? quarantined, socially distant. Totally yes. isolated. Uh, they can't see this because it's an audio medium, but we're both wearing masks to do this interview. We are. We are. I've, I've shoved the microphone up underneath the mask so you can <laughs> still get that clear, crisp uh, hilariousness. Uh, before I ask you about the quarantine, will you please tell the audience uh, what your favorite Easter candy is? Oh, yeah, everybody was going around the horn on the show, and it was like, what's your, it's, I like the Reese's uh, peanut butter cup, I like the Cadbury cream egg, you know, I like jelly beans, and I was like, I love, who does it, the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> By the way, Tony is disgusting. Oh, yeah, I know. Peeps? Oh yeah, peeps. Sure. Yeah, I actually I like peeps. I'm I'm not a I I enjoy a marsh a sugared marshmallow. I'm okay with it. I think it's the most divisive Easter candy. I think it's I just the two sides of that fence. Yeah, there is no reaching across the aisle when it comes to people who are for or against peeps. You just hate yeah. each other. But that's like America, how, baby. Well, I also like how before I even told you about the peeps thing, and I'm like, Tony is disgusting, and you're like, yeah. Oh yeah, because of the piece. Oh yeah, no, she's she's revolting though in general. Have you ever seen her squat videos? Uh, her working out online. No. Oh yeah, she's a she's a tiny little lady who uh, who uh, looks like she's struggling beneath a lot of weight when she does her squats. But I mean, they're not pleasant videos. But she posts them because her uh, trainer is uh, she's giving her trainer some love. I think she gets a little discount because of. Uh, uh, promoting her trainer, you know, his workouts. Who's your trainer? Uh, Galvanized Fitness, I think is what it's called, but don't quote me on that because I'm not – he's a nice dude. He's an awesome dude. Her squat videos are just weird to look at. What is weird about them? Oh, she is – uh, she looks like a peep struggling under a tie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of quarantine, how are you holding up during it? Uh, not too bad, man. We figured this, uh, uh, distancing stuff out. Um, and, uh, obviously there's a lot of resources now with digital stuff that you can still connect with people and make things. And, 
and get things done without having to go anywhere. In fact, I'm not sure I'm going to want to do anything different after this is all. <laughs> I love I love being at home or just uh, right now to do the show. I'm coming to the theater, the podcast studio at the theater. Um, but that's just a short trip for me. So like life has just become super convenient. I'm sorry about all the death and destruction. That's <laughs> but it's uh, worth in general, like spending more time with the family has been good and uh, having a shorter commute and doing things from your couch rather than having to go see people. It's pretty sweet. Uh, what's the biggest like change that you've had? Obviously, besides the not recording in in the studio with everybody in person, like oh, in your personal life. Oh, and the per- absolutely the biggest change is I spend so much time with my kids. I mean, I love my kids to death, but entertaining a four year old and a six month old uh, all day long has become the most rigorous task I've ever had to endure. It is it is nearly impossible. There is no time for anything else other than to figure out how to keep those kids entertained, and it is exhausting. By the end of the day, Adrian and I are just we're passing out. We just can't wait for the day to end because it's so it's so long and so hard to keep kids going for that long and not melting down. So that's been the biggest change. It, but it's been great, too. So we spend all this time. But once like the great part runs out, then it just becomes an endurance race to bed. <laughs> What's your go to? Go to oh, Lincoln. And, oh, Lincoln and I like going out. We have a little pond in our backyard. He likes to dig up worms. I, I don't know if this is sadistic or not, or if this is has any implications of like serial killer traits. Uh, I don't want to say that because it's my son, but he likes to dig up worms and then chuck them into the pond. Oh, no, I think that's just a kid thing. I mean, when I was a kid, one of the things that you would do is uh, you would get lightning bugs. Yeah. And then squish them and you could rub like the glowing part on you and then you'd have like a gr- like a glowing green streak on you it's like toddler rave it's like a toddler <laughs> well we were on a lot of ecstasy yeah well you like you grew up in a different neighborhood than i did yeah <laughs> franklin yeah so, we yeah, just we, were on meth. we murder innocent worms probably <laughs> tax evasion or something and you guys grew up on the serial killer thing i actually had to i got a call or no i didn't get a call so my son and I want to say it was either fifth or sixth grade. Uh, They did a project where they had to rewrite like a classic fairy tale um, from a different angle, like from a different Uh person's point of view. Different perspective. Sure. And my son went with uh, Cinderella from the stepmother's point of view. And uh, Cinderella was addicted to, uh, I believe it was either meth or heroin and it was just dark. And that was the fucked up thing is because he told me that they called him into the office, like the principal's office. Like they called him to the principal to ask him if everything was okay at home. <laughs> and what what did he say? Uh, no. Yeah, he's like, yeah, just I'm dark. No, no <laughs> it's not. My father's Brad Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they checked because they're like, wait, Henson. Oh, no, no, no. Your father's Brad Scott. Oh, okay. You're way oh, more oh, no, we've seen his set. set. We've seen his set. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's fine. Are you getting enough to eat at home? We've seen his act. Uh-huh. <laughs> but here's the thing. They've never even called me, which is kind of fucked up because if it's like if you thought something was going on at home, you would think you would at least contact uh, the parent. Um, 
So yeah. I, I will say this about quarantine for me. I've, I think this coronavirus has been the best thing that's happened in my career. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Well, I've got, for one, uh, I've gotten so many of my friends now who never had time to do my podcast, to be on it. And uh, now my schedule being so light has a reason behind it besides yeah. failure. No, it's it's uh, coronavirus is the perfect cover up for any kind of dark shit you want to be doing right now yep. or perfect excuse for any of your failures. So, uh, you know, whatever. It's like, hey, you're a neglectful father and be like, I'm sorry, coronavirus. <laughs> you're an alcoholic. It's like, what else do you expect me to do with the rest well, of this time? Uh, me and Chappelle have the same touring schedule for the next few months. So, uh huh. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm gonna get into this. Um, how did you get started in radio? Oh, I always wanted to do radio. I grew up in Indianapolis or Avon, I guess, right outside in Indianapolis. So I was here with uh, the Bob and Tom Boom uh, growing up. I listened to their show and their albums, and always thought like that. Was, like for me. I never wanted to be like a super celebrity, uh, rich and famous, but I always loved comedy. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a great accessible platform for me to do comedy and entertainment and uh, be dumb and silly and have fun every day for my job. And so uh, that's what I kind of got from listening to Bob and Tom. So I actually went to school for it. I went to DePaul University, got into a program called Media Fellows. They have a radio station there. 91.5 WGRE, which is a real terrestrial radio station in Greencastle. And so, like, from day one, I was doing radio shows in college. Uh, before that, I would record myself on tapes and make stupid songs and bits and sketches and, um, and cartoons. Like, I would draw cartoons. And so comedy and entertainment was really the thing I was into, and I thought radio was a cool platform for it. Got into college and did it all through college. Got internships and was lucky enough to land an internship with Bob and Tom uh, before I left college. Before that, I uh, had a media fellows internship down in Tampa, Florida with a dude named Bubba the Love Sponge. Who oh, I don't know. The guy that exposed Hulk Hogan. Exactly. Literally. Yeah, he, uh, he filmed Hulk Hogan fucking his wife secretly to blackmail Hulk Hogan, which, by the way, was one of his best friends uh, down yeah. in Tampa. He, uh, Bubba and Hulk Hogan co-owned a nightclub called the Coliseum, which I was able to frequent. And it was like the superstars of Tampa it would go there and just commit debaucherous acts. All <laughs> the Coliseum. And I swear, it was, I think it was run by the Russian mafia the first day. I mean, I'm a, just a kid from Indiana. The first night, night I rolled up there, Bubba put me on the list. He's like, come out here and check out the club. I rolled up in my 1993 Mercury Cougar. What year was this? Uh, this had to have been 2003. So this was not like 1994 and you're rolling up in your 93 Mercury. Cooper. Right. No, this is a decade old car. This is a used car. It, I mean, I got it used. It was the, my <laughs> car. Um, and, uh, and so they were like, I was immediately suspect rolling up in that. Uh, but I was on the list to get like valeted and all this stuff. And there's like some Russian guy was just like, who are you? Where are you from? <laughs> ID. Are you on the list? And like, okay. And like, I thought I was going to get murdered. But then they, I, my name was on the list, thank God. And they took my, they took my card. I went, like, this club was outrageous. It was just, you know, it was lightning bug skin everywhere. 
and <laughs> screwing in the stairwells and drugs. And it was like a, a Yeah. But Bubba, Bubba was like, he, he was nationally syndicated and he was definitely all over Florida. So at the time he was at the kind of the height of his career and he and Hulk Hogan were buddies. And so they would like work out together and whatever. And, uh, go out each other's wives. Well, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know what is uh, slander at this point or not, but I definitely got some insights to some things I'd never seen before uh, doing that internship. But I famously got fired from that because I wouldn't get a blowjob on the air one morning. Have you ever heard this story? I I think I have, but I want you to retell it. Yeah, for the listeners. So there was. Um, uh, Bubba had a friend down in Tampa who's like the local uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Marilyn Manson type of guy who did uh, outrageous acts on stage during his music sets. He would bite the heads off of rats and that kind of shit, like disgusting uh, spectacle stuff like that. And so he would come in and do all sorts of experiments with Bubba. If they found a new product, he would try it if it was dangerous, whatever. He did not care. He was reckless and disgusting. Um, so Bubba had found this product called semen X, which is supposed to make your semen taste sweet for, uh, the person flating you. And then you, uh, you blow it and it's supposed to taste like a dessert or whatever. <laughs> and so Bubba had this guy, uh, I'm trying to think of what his name was. I can't, I can't remember what his name, what his name was. He was just this gross guy. And so he was taking this product for like a month. And so it was time to have a control group. Where basically he brought in a <laughs> to blow him, wipe her mouth, and then move on to a control group of one of the kids <laughs> on the show who hadn't been taking the product. I love how scientific this yeah. is. Oh, no, there's no science is not involved. Well, because I imagine that like Bubba's in a lab coat and he's got like a clipboard and they're just studying the results. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he brought in his spectacles that day and a, a white lap. <laughs> yeah, and they what they didn't even offer an aperitif between uh, <laughs> seltzer water, so a uh, palate cleanser to uh, you would just like wipe it off and then get going. And so the way he did this, and of course, uh, you know, on radio, everything can be turned into a bit. He lined up all the single guys who were helping with the show, like producers and assistant producers and interns. And we all had to make an excuse as to why we shouldn't be the one to have this on-air blowjob. And I just, you know, everybody's like, I'm married. I have a girlfriend. And here I am, a, a young, single college dude. And I'm like, oh, I'm representing my university. And I, I, I can't lose this internship and ruin my reputation. He's like, nope, you're the guy getting the blowjob. That was the excuse that you came up with? Yeah, I didn't have any. I didn't know. I was so nervous. What, I, what, as an intern, what, I'd be allowed to get a blowjob on the air. What kind of theater do you own? No, an improv comedy theater. Yeah, I know. But that was before. That's that's 20 years ago. That's, yeah, this but is, it should have always been in your blood. You should have been. I, I, you're so quick with everything that I've, I, like, on the show, on the Smiley Show. I, you came up with, I'm representing my university. I'm trying to, yeah, well, it was terrible. I know it was terrible, but I was, I was so afraid. Like this was, I'm trying to think of the equivalent for you. Um, it's as if you walked into a room of who are, who's, who's your favorite comedian of all time? 
Al Chappelle. Okay, so you walked, you walked into Dave Chappelle's office as a 21-year-old guy who's never done stand-up comedy once in your life, and Dave Chappelle's like, pitch me your best joke. Go. I would not. You want, you want me to do it right now on the spot? No, you're, you, but you're, di- this is different. This is a different context. So what's the deal you're with my university and yeah. my internship? Oh, fuck off. It didn't, well, you'll be pleased to know that it didn't work. And I lost my internship because I was like, no, fuck this. I'm not doing this and walked out. And Wait, uh, you lost the internship anyways? Yeah, I lost the internship because I refused to do the bit on the air. And so the at the end of that show, I got called into the program director's office and they're like, hey, listen, um, you know, I just don't think it's a good personality fit between you and the show. Uh, thanks for coming down here, but um, we're not going to ha- we're not going to have you back. And I had moved to Tampa from uh, Greencastle. I'd moved to Tampa. I, I had a stipend to be there for a uh, semester, uh, had rented an apartment for a semester for like six months and rented furniture and was like totally moved down there and lost the internship, got fired like two, two and a half months in. And so then I just had to move back here. But that story um, is what actually got my foot in the door at Bob and Tom and at the time Gonzo Greg and the Big Dumb Show on X103 at Clear Channel so, to get me going there. So that that's kind of where I got started in real professional radio. Um, did you stay that's a long in Tampa? Story. What? Uh, did you stay in Tampa? Yeah, no, I was I lived in Tampa I think this uh, like from the end of July of 2003 to the mid-October of 2003. So okay, so when, I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't phrase that correctly. So when you when they fought, when they said, you know, we're done with the internship, did you move back immediately, or did you stay in Tampa? Because you said you had an apartment and everything already taken. Oh yeah, no, I lost. Uh, I had to basically uh, spend the rest of the stipend the university gave me to break my lease uh, down there and move all my shit back in my 1993 Mercury Cougar. <laughs> Uh, I just, I I drove back. I was so upset and so I didn't know what to do. There was nothing to do. I didn't need to be in Tampa anymore. Uh, I think I spent like maybe an extra two weeks there just getting my shit together and then drove home overnight one night, just fucking plowed it. I went 90, 95 all the way back from Tampa. Yeah. It got back. Yeah. I, it was, I made a short trip of it away. I think I got back in 14 or 15 hours, which was uh, a silly, a silly thing. That's but, a minimum 18, 19 hour trip because that's actually Tampa's right by Port Charlotte, Florida, which is home of my favorite comedy club in the country besides Red Curb Comedy and uh, Avon, which is Vasani. Yeah. Go check out Vasani right now offering curbside food, the best <laughs> type of food you'll ever have made from scratch in-house. Vasani, if you're a listener in Port Charlotte, Florida, which I don't know why you would be because all the crowds are over 90 years old. Uh, oh, so you yep. move back to Greencastle, um, what was Bob and Tom the next stop? Yeah, I needed to figure out how to spend the rest of my uh, internship. Uh, and the university set me up with this one um, because the one of the guys who ran the Media Fellows program there was Bubba's station manager way back in the day when he still was working in Terre Haute, Indiana. And so they're like, well, that was your one internship. So if you can find something else, you can you can go do it. So I what? was, yeah. That's yeah, kind of shitty. Well, it, it, I get what no, they're saying. I could have just taken the next two months off. 
Well, but okay, so here's the so I would understand their position of like, well, that was your one internship. If it was like you got let go of the internship because you were showing up late or because you weren't doing your job correctly. When they see that the reason that they let you go is refuse to get a blow job on the air, there's <laughs> got to be some sort of special circumstances they can make where they're like, you know what? Okay, we're going to give you a freebie on that. I feel like uh, that reason was the coronavirus of getting fired from an internship. <laughs> it was unprecedented, untimely, and nobody knew what the fuck to do. So I think the directors of the program were like, what? They just, they were so, they were like, you're not in trouble, but we don't have anything for this. We have no contingency plan. Uh, but like I said, I always admire. Hold on, hold on. Trump's Trump's out there like we're hoping Will's going to get a blowjob by Easter. <laughs> <laughs> and all the all, all the governors are like, yeah, I, I I know Will. I know I know this. <laughs> there he will not get it. He's not had a blowjob in years. He will not get a blowjob by Easter. That's not the way things work. Um. So, yeah, so I, I always admired Bob and Tom, loved the show, uh, and wrote an email to Dean Metcalf, the producer, and CC'd their office manager, and was like, listen to this story, and I need to, fi- I need to find somewhere to finish my internship. I've always loved this show. Can I come in and do it? And I got a job interview with them, and Gonzo Gregg, everybody I asked at that point, the door was wide open, because all they wanted to hear was, you refused a blowjob. Uh, from a groupie who was going to blow a man who bit the heads off of rats. And that was that, that was the nu- enough people to be intrigued to let me the door. Even if they didn't give me something, they wanted to hear that story uh, about a guy like, like they, everybody knew in radio. And so did you go with Bob and Tom or Gonzo and Greg? I did both. I split the days. So I think I did three days at Bob and Tom and two at Gonzo. And they what were some of the stuff. That, sorry, Matt. No, they were. Uh, it's like uh, like any radio cluster. The studios were next door to each other, so you just it was the same building, same hours. And what was some of the stuff that you were doing for both shows? Oh man, it was standard intern shit. Like I for Bob and Tom, I would edit, I would find and edit news stories, like uh, kicker news stories or, or dumb news stories, funny news stories for Christy Lee, and I would. You know, get coffee and run errands. Um, I would help with some production, basic shit. Um, I think for Gonzo Greg, I did. I helped produce traffic and that sort of thing. It was just, it was just the opportunity to hang out and watch how they ran shows and what they did. I, I think I went on remotes and stuff with Gonzo Greg. Bob and Tom didn't do so much of that stuff, so I got more practical experience with Bob and Tom, and eventually worked my way in where they saw that, oh, he's, he has some talent, he has some interest and motivation, that I was started to write some bits and, uh, and do some character work, like bit parts on, on uh, some of their comedy writing. Uh, so I, I, worked, I gradually worked my way in where I was getting some real practical uh, comedy experience with them. And how long were you uh, interning at both? Uh, Gonzo Greg was just the rest of that semester uh, through Christmas. And then uh, I asked to stay on at Bob and Tom if they had an interest in keeping me around. So I basically worked at Bob and Tom, Tom on and off through the rest of my college career. And it was the first job I had after I graduated. 
Okay, so then uh, what were you, were you doing just the same things but being paid after you graduated? Yeah, I was I was basically a paid intern after I graduated. I I can tell you I was making eight hundred dollars every two weeks. I was not on any official payroll. I was just getting a check cut to me from Tom, and I was Joni Downing's assistant. And Joni Downing was the Bob and Tom, she uh, kind of behind the scenes director, coordinator, administrator. And I was talent assist- booker as well. Uh, yeah, exactly, talent booker. And so. Uh, in that time period that I was assisting Joni, I would go in and do the show. So like five to 10, I would be there uh, assisting Dean and just watching the show. And then afterwards, I would stay for the rest of the day assisting Joni on all the administrative stuff, booking guests, uh, preparing information sheets, um, helping to coordinate some of their tours at the time they did tours and uh, writing, writing intro questions or set up questions for stand up comedians and uh, it was oh. a really, yeah, yeah, I know every comedian, uh, they, I, I never liked doing that, but I realized why they gave me that job is because they didn't want to see the comedians suffer before their eyes, even though they, they needed that. Like, that's how they did it. You know, Tom, Tom set you up for a, a bit. He, they wanted to be rock solid. It's just so it's like a sitcom in the nineties. It's just so formulaic and Every time I'm on the road and I do radio and they either bring in a little piece of paper and tell you to write down uh, set up or they ask you, I'm always like, can't we just talk? Like, it's so much. I'm funny. Trust. Just trust me that I'm funny and I can do whatever you guys are doing. It's so because Tom especially is just so bad at it because he's always like, and maybe this is because they don't have you now, but uh, it's always just it's. Hey, Brian, you seem like the type of guy who would have a funny story about a hat. Why you should bring that up, Tom? I have a funny story about a hat. It's just so... It's like pro wrestling, actually, in the 90s. Where you, know, you just can see it. Yeah, well, you can see it. But I would argue that uh, most listeners, your average listeners, never see it. I mean, listeners are oblivious to most of the concocted... Uh, structural things that shows put in place just so they can get to the fucking. Um, but to us, it is. It's an, And it's especially annoying to a, a funny person, a professional comedian who's like, I can make anything funny. Just let's roll the ball out and play. Uh, for them, it's like they want a home run every time. And so I, I would say I'm on your side of the fence as far as like, let's just roll out. That's how we do it on the Smiley Morning Show. We don't give a fuck. Like somehow we're just like, let's just roll the dice and see what happens. And sometimes it's not great. Sometimes it's... But when it's not great, it can be great as well. Well, yeah. Well, and we can always... We can never have that person back if they don't want to play and then always talk about that terrible time we had. Yeah. Whoever. Yeah. Whoever. And we were like, we tried so hard and we failed so bad. Uh, That's why the Dan Levitard show is so popular on ESPN radio. And anyone who's been a part of the Brad Scott Podomatic Cinematic Universe for years knows that is that has always been my inspiration for podcasting is because they they embrace the awkward anytime there's an awkward interview i mean they have little sound clips they play during the interview uh uh one of them is uh um oh what the fuck is his name from two live crew uh oh tommy lee no 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 from two live crew uh oh. the rat group uh not two <laughs> what was like what was Motley <laughs> <laughs> I am the whitest person on the planet. <laughs> Two live uh, crew. Uh, 
Who's it? Why can't I think of his name? He's like the lead dude from Two Live Crew. We got a fucking device to look up this kind of information. Hey, in my defense, my device is what's recording this podcast right now. Two Live Crew. This would be Luke. Oh, Luke from Two Live Crew. Yeah, Uncle Luke. Uh, all right, Luther Campbell and Mister Mix. Yes, Brother yes, that's it. Luther Campbell. They call him Uncle Luke. He has they have a sound clip of him going "Suey." And every time the interview is going badly, you just randomly will hear suey. And that's them going, hey, we know this is bad. You don't have to tweet us and, and text messages on the show that we know is bad. But yeah, you're right. You guys, that's why you guys became like my favorite show uh, in Indy. Not one, for one, just because uh, I've, if you're a deep listener of this podcast uh, universe I've, I've had, I've been a part of. You are aware of the the Bob and Tom thing that I had a few years ago, where playfully I was taking shots at them on Twitter uh, to promote a podcast, and it was all in good fun and everything. But at the same time, it was it was based, like most of my stuff in my comedy is based out of reality. I had a little bit of an issue with Bob and Tom just because over the years as a comedian, you could only hear "We'd love to have you on our show" that could help your popularity and help you, especially establish yourself in your local market, and then be ignored after being given an invitation for so many times before you get frustrated. And I remember I did your guys's open mic segment, and then I've known uh, Nikki, who's on the show uh, for years, just from doing different events around the city. And you guys were always so supportive. And I mean, you also kind of. If I feel like, and Dave does this a lot on your show, you kind of have taken on that fuck Bob and Tom. Like it's, it's a friendly rivalry, I believe, but there's a little bit you could. It's it's a rivalry there. Well, yeah, I think Dave, ever since he got here, knew that he was coming into the Bob and Tom market, the Bob and Tom hometown, and he had always learned in places before, and he had been. He's been all over the place. He's been in New York and San Diego and Phoenix. So he's been in some pretty big markets where there have been some pr- like established shows. And he said the worst thing that you ever do is go into a market as a new person and start like really tearing down the the big the big guys that everybody likes. Uh, I think that he always played it like, oh, we're always we're always un- the underdog to Bob and Tom. We're always like, uh, like everybody loves them. So why would you tear down the thing that everybody loves in the market? Like instead, you know, uh, be uh, self-deprecating, but also take your take your playful jabs when you can. And so our playful jab is like, they're great, they're great. Uh, you know, uh, they're you know they're so they're so old and been around for so long. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just <laughs> it's just one of those things where where they are clearly an older show than us. And so it's not saying anything wrong other than just pointing out the fact like, oh, they're, they're, they've been here a while. They've been around. Oh, and now I would, I would venture to say now though you're not the underdog. I mean, uh, when did you get to Smiley, by the way? 2010. I've been doing the show for 10 years now. And uh, who, what was the format of the show when you got there? Who was all on it? Uh, at the time, it was uh, KJ as the co-host and Paul Poteet was doing weather and kind of a cast member and Mindy Winkler was doing traffic and uh, kind of that fourth cast member. And I was the producer. So I replaced weed man and uh, be more who were the two producers who started the show uh, back in the day and like originally in 2001. So uh, I came in and was just off air behind the scenes producer 
and sort of worked my way into being on air as I would create things where I would host or or have something to add to a conversation. And then eventually worked my way into being like a regular on-air personality as they started trimming away some of those cast members. When was when did you kind of become full-time on-air? I think it was just a gradual transition. I can't even remember at this point. I, I think by 2012, I think within two years, I was in the room more often than I was behind the scenes. And who? Uh, when did Nikki and Tony join? Uh, Nikki, uh, well, Tony had always been there. So Tony had always been a marketing director or the director of marketing for, uh, my star, I think it was. And then it became, uh, we became intercom and then now we're cumulus, but she had been there working. And then eventually they fired B more who was producing Abdul at the time on the CBS news station and B more and Tony were infamously married at one point in time. And, uh, and when they fired him, uh, they didn't want to also fire her because they had just had a baby. And so she got the benefit of the doubt to stay on board. Is that uh, why there's four <laughs> It would be destroying her entire family at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so we got called into an office and they said, you know, we've got Tony here who we're not going to fire, but we need to find a role for her. And at the time, none of us were good at looking up forward and planning a calendar and being diligent in that way. We were all just fucking day-to-day goofballs and just rolling with it. And none of us had that instinct to plan ahead too much. So uh, I was, I was right away, like, absolutely. We need Tony to do some of this planning for us and look ahead and be an assistant and whatever we could do. I'm all in favor of it. So I think she joined like by 2011, I think she was part of the show, but she had always been there forever like she's only ever worked at this radio station her entire career um she actually did the same thing where she had she had a unique perspective to offer as being a, a mother and a young mother and none of us had were that person at the time we weren't parents at the time so she was getting airtime in that way and so eventually became a cast member too and what about nikki Nikki was the last to be added in, I can't remember the year, but she's been there for a while now. I would say probably 2012 or 2013 she was added. She, so how- she was hired the same year I was, So, but, but at later in the year. So I was there in May of 2010. Nikki was there by the fall of 2010 or early 2011. And I think by 20, the end of 2012 or the beginning of – 2013 she was she had replaced kj kj moved to the mix and so you guys so you guys have been a a, the foursome now for like six seven years yeah yeah and uh yeah because you like that's one of the things i loved about your show and that's why when people would ask about you know have you done bob and tom or whatever i it used to be nope (laughs) and like (laughs) kind of a kind of a feeling of like Yep, now you now you do not take my career seriously, despite the fact that I've done all this other stuff in my business that's more important on a on a larger scale and a grander scheme of things. But because I haven't done this one local thing, and it became more of not more of a smiley guy. And yeah. I mean, just the conversation I got to have with you guys from doing those open mic segments, you guys very forward thinking in making it a more of a podcast format. Honestly. I think the only issue I have with the show now is I wish you would stop playing music. Like I wish it was just 
full yeah. five yeah. hours of you guys talking because I feel like it's so, it's so much better than hearing uh, you know being interrupted uh, by things. Yeah, no, we we agree. <clears throat> I I don't know that Dave one hundred percent agree one hundred percent agrees with that uh, as far as like going pure talk because I think he sees value in still being irrelevant from a musical standpoint uh, with us being on a top 40 station. So I think that that brand, that image of being young and, and hip to the new stuff and playing that music for him, I think is an anchor. It's a nice, we don't play that many songs. I mean, we're almost there. We probably play four or five songs an hour. And, and they're not, a little shortened, right? Oh yeah. No, they're like two or three minute songs. So it's only, we're probably playing less than 20 minutes of music, 15 minutes of music an hour. Um, and the rest of it is is us doing our our dumb talking, and bits. When, when did you notice? When did you guys know that like the show was big? Like, when, what was the first sign that for you personally that like, oh shit, like this is now the biggest radio morning show in Indianapolis? Because Bob, you're right. Bob and Tom had a lock on that for years, especially being a nationally syndicated show, and to think that like this little morning show on 99.5 can overtake this national behemoth was unheard of for years. Uh, especially when you guys are, are like, it'd be different if you guys were a political or, or uh, uh, a sports morning radio show, your, your comedy morning radio show like them. And you kind of beat them at their own game. When did you know that that had started to happen? Well, I think that it, I wouldn't say that uh, Bob and Tom is completely gone. I mean, there's there's still a, a behemoth in this market. They've still got a huge following. I would say that we just built an audience around it, and we also have an equally huge following in Indianapolis. But um, they're they're still huge here. They're still they they've been insulated from any market changes, and they remain as one of the top shows in this market. So. I wouldn't, I mean, I love that you have the perception that we overtook them or something like that. And there were points where we were, I would say that it's really a back and forth thing. And it just depends on, uh, I mean, this is, this is getting into the weeds of it, but um, the way that they, they rate the shows, I don't know that's necessarily completely accurate. So we never know exactly where we're at. I know that the show is popular um, and I knew that it was popular almost right out of the gate because uh, it had already been around for what, nine years um, that as soon as I, I, I shared my social on smiley, my, my socials blew up huge, like big time. Like people, even like being on the show for a week, people wanted to be uh, following me on social media right away. Um, I realized that the show has a lot of influence when almost every event we do is gigantic with people, That's what I was people, 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 come out we, we always say we we could get people to come out to watch a pile of shit um as long as we said it was cool and not that we create piles of shit but English brad scott will be back at red curve yeah. comedy <laughs> yeah yeah but, but the, the power of the show and the reach of the show and the connection we have with this market um is gigantic and it just feels like you're surrounded by people who are who've got your back like our listeners feel like they feel like they're, they know us and they have their back, even though we don't know, know them, but they feel like family. And I think that's kind of the sense that you have a, a big reach when you're walking around in the grocery store and people come up to you and, you know, 
tell you something that they loved about the show that you had forgotten from three hours ago, just because they're that invested in it. Um, and so that's how you know the show has still has legs and is valid and has a big audience. It's weird, though, because um, the ratings sometimes don't necessarily reflect that the way that they're the way that they're measured and the way this market goes. I mean, so, some of the radio stations that are killing it right now and they could claim like, oh, we've overtaken these shows are shows that are basically music based shows. Um, they're not it's not that they're bad. It's just right now this market is strange in the way that it's being rated. Uh, but Bob and Tom's still big and we still have a huge audience. Uh, but there are things like NPR and K-Love and Jack, for example, and FMS that still have their reach and still have their audience. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I answered that very well. Uh, other well, than. No, I, so I feel like the way that I that I felt like the, the reason I said I felt like you guys kind of took over Bob and Tom is because so like you said, you you growing up when you were in high school and when you were first in college, like you were really into Bob and Tom. Bob and Tom used to have the young people and it was almost like they didn't evolve and grow with their audience or sorry, they didn't evolve uh, to the times into a, a new audience. They grew with their audience. So that's why a lot of their audience, I think now still is my age, our age and older. Whereas you guys have always appealed to a younger audience through the years. And that's why I think all of your events, like this, there, you, there's no Bob and Tom prom. There's no uh, wheel of, of men, uh, uh, you know, for Bob and Tom, like you guys, you're right. Whenever you do, a, you get what hundreds, thousands of people to show up to watch you guys drop pumpkins from a crane. Right. Well, and that's, that's how, you know, like we've built a nice uh, invested loyal audience, which we are grateful for every single day, especially now where we're in the middle of this pandemic and we are doing a show to what feels like nobody because the commuting is way down and people aren't in listening to the radios at the same time, but the engagement comes later. So we will, we continue to do this show and we still have an audience there who's invested in the show enough to go back and see what we did every day and then comment later, even though we don't feel the same engagement during those five hours does that make sense where yeah, you're still getting calls into the into, right. uh, apparently, apparently dave's house uh but you're also i mean <laughs> you guys were smart enough and this shows again just kind of the forward thinking of your show um and here's another plug uh you can get all of the clips of you guys talking on apple's podcast spotify podcast if you search the smiley morning show uh yeah. which is a very I think I've told you now for the past couple of years uh, since we've been working together that you, Tony and Nikki need to do your own podcast, the three of you. Yeah. I mean, that would be, that would be super fun. And I think that we would have a nice audience to listen to it. Um, I've tried to talk them into doing that and we'll see what happens. It would be, it would be fun to try it for sure. And I think that's the, the, the world is shifting that way. The world is shifting digital. So uh, while I think there's still viability in, in radio and who it reaches, Definitely, the more that you can get your content on a digital platform, the better if you're a creator. Oh, 100%. That's why this show has thousands and thousands of downloads. Tens every of hundreds of downloads every year. That's <laughs> still probably giving us too much credit. <laughs> uh, so now let's talk about Red Curb. Um, I discovered and was introduced to Red Curb, I think it was 
about two and a half years ago. Uh, actually, was, our guest from last I, week, I, Drew Lynch. Yeah. Was that? It was almost right away. We opened in February, and by March, I got an email from what I thought was fake. I thought it was just bogus. It was somebody who was like, I'm Drew Lynch's PR or manager person. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> like my dumpy little uh, club out in Avon, Indiana, my improv comedy theater, Drew Lynch wants to come play. And then as I exchanged emails, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So he's from Indiana. His parents live in Avon. And he just saw it and was interested in practicing some stuff before he hit the road. I was like, oh, this is badass. So, uh, so then he immediately, of course, sold out two shows as soon as I put it up and gave me a lot of credibility for having opened a theater. And <laughs> 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 uh, accidentally, it was so strange. But that's where you came on board. Uh, he, you were asked to open for him on, that, on those shows. Well, that's because, and we uh, talked about this, I talked about this with uh, Mesa Cronhouse, uh, who was his former um, assistant who I met during our weekend of hell at a locally owned comedy club uh, named after a snack food. Um, but Drew doesn't get enough credit for what he's done for Indianapolis, uh, comedy. And that opened a door for me with you. Cause I remember, yeah, he called me and he was like, uh, and I'm not going to do the, the, uh, obligatory stutter impression. Um, but he called me, he's like, Hey Brad, do you want to open for me at a uh, red curb, uh, comedy? And I was like, yeah, the fuck is that? And he was like, uh, it's a theater, uh, in Avon. And I actually had no clue that you were producer Will from the Will from the Smiley Morning Show who owned it or anything. I knew nothing about that. And then uh, when I got to the theater, just the way that you treated me, the way you treated Drew, um, was very. It was apparent that the, I was like, this is a very artist-friendly, artist-first venue, which is a rarity to find in the world of stand-up. And I mean, it was an interesting night because I remember you came back to us. Uh, in the green room, I think it was before the first show, and you were just like, hey, there's a nine-year-old <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. the audience, and Drew was like, oh, shit, uh, hey, Brad, can you, um, and I was like, you want me to go out there and say fuck a few times, and he's like, yeah, yeah, like, let him know, <laughs> um, but you were like, you know, there's no restrictions, there's no, you know, restrictions on content, language, or anything, and you and I got to talking, and that's how I came aboard um, to start kind of handling the stand-up side of things, but you said you had only been open for a few months. What what made you decide to open that theater, and what made you decide Avon? Yeah, I think I could answer both. But these I'm are, guessing these are all bad. These are all bad decisions, practically. <laughs> but they're made out of uh, passion, I guess. They're passionate decisions. It's like having a one-night stand. You don't think about it too much. You just fucking do it. And then you start thinking about what a bad idea it might have been later. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, in fact, you have a material all about that. <laughs> <You're> all <laughs> yeah. your, entire, your entire life is kind of defined by that. Uh, no, it, this was a seed. The Red Curve was the seed of an idea uh, from a previous group I was in for a long time called $3 Bill Comedy. And $3 bill comedy came from a bunch of performers who originally started at Comedy Sports in Indianapolis. And so we were a bunch of improvisers. Uh, we had done impro improv at Comedy Sports for a long time. We wanted to challenge ourselves to do sketch. And so we started a sketch group 
And then it kind of blew up and, and we had, we built this huge audience and did sketch and musicals and all sorts of things for about five or six years. But we'd always be doing them at venues where they took a big chunk of the money. And we were like, God damn, if we would just have our own place, we wouldn't have to fight for rehearsal time. We wouldn't have that chunk of money taken out. We could do whatever we do, whatever we wanted. We could be doing this on a regular basis, but that took so long. I think we were all in our mid twenties when that started and that took so long that eventually people grow up and grow old and and have careers and and you just get pulled apart by life. Uh, so three dollar bill just kind of uh, as as adults we outgrew what we were doing, like our capacity to continue to invest the amount of time that we were in creating that material. But that's why it was so good is because we were just like this incubator of five six people who just spent all of their time writing and creating sketch and comedy and and funny music and all this stuff. And that's why we built what we built because it was really good. It was just kind of lightning in a bottle. I didn't realize it at the time, but there's nobody else in this city who has created a group. I think like that and built it the way we did, because I mean, you're just, everybody in this market's pulled in so many directions and performing can't be your only mode of making money in Indianapolis. It just can't like you have a, you have a career and your side hustle is, whatever art you're doing. Um, so that kind of outgrew itself, but I had always, I was still in, in kind of that ambition mode of we can get this thing done. And so I had looked at spaces for probably, I don't know, seven years. I think we started $3 bill in 2009. And by 2012, we were talking about opening our own space. And so this didn't even open until um, 2018. And so th that entire time I was looking at a way to get practically do this. And once I got the smiley show, I had resources lined up for me and the conditions were right that I could finally open up this theater. I wanted it to be like, originally it was going to be a sketch comedy theater with open to doing other things. It had to evolve into being improv based, long form improv based because I did, we weren't going to have the same group of writers that we had. So it was just like, we were just going to recruit the best improvisers and do long form. And it happened. It just lined up. Uh, that's where Red Curb came from. Uh, the Red Curb is the name of a sketch I wrote in $3 Bill about two kids sitting on a punishment curb at recess. And that comes from a real experience I had at elementary school <laughs> where, where with you got in trouble on the great playground. You got sent to the Red Curb. And we all thought it was the punishment curb. But it was just a fire lane curb painted red. But that's where the teacher sent you if you fucked up on the playground and they were like, Oh, this is a big punishment. You lose your recess. But really what you're, what was happening is all the fucked up kids were sitting on the red curb becoming best friends. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, uh, you get, you, you become best friends with your cellmate or something like that. It, it might've been, uh, what's that thing? Uh, Florence Nightingale, uh, disease or oh, whatever. Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. We weren't being nursed by, we weren't nursing each other, I guess. Yeah. So Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> but anyway, that's what, like, I guess you also were kidnapping each other as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were giving each other IVs and, uh, uh, but that's where Red, the name came from. And that's, that's how the, the quick evolution of where, where this happened. I, and I opened it up in Avon. You were like, why is it in Avon? Well, because, it's close to my house. I, so I, was gonna say, I could like, probably answer that one. Coolest, the coolest, uh, the coolest business decision ever made. Like, where do you put 
high uh, a high concept improv comedy theater other than the middle of Hendricks County in the smallest town. <laughs> uh, but I, the what I had learned at least from three dollar bill is that no matter what venue we were at, people were coming to see us if what we were making was good enough. And so I figured, well, if people are willing to drive downtown, then they'd probably be willing to drive to Avon if what you're doing is unique and good enough. And so far, it has been until we got derailed. Man, worst fucking time, too, because, I mean, like, summer's tough for anyone that does anything indoors, but you, you guys, and it really depressed me every fucking week that I would show up and see that, like, every improv show was, like, damn near sold out. And I couldn't give away tickets <laughs> to come have something filmed. But you guys were getting to a point where, like, when you'd have, granted, you got to keep in mind, the max capacity is 80 to 90 pushing it. And right. it was getting to a point where if you were at, like, 40, 45, you were like, fuck, what a slow show. Yeah. Which is 50% of the room. And, I mean, the last two shows I went to were, like, Oh, we're going to, me and whoever was with me, I'm like, we're going to have to sit back over here in chairs I'm just pulling from the back. Yeah. No, uh, 2020 was on fire. Uh, We had some, you had lined up some great shows. You had recorded your special here. We had Mick Foley on the books. Um, We were going to try some new things uh, from a stand-up. I think we just had a really ambitious year lined up. And to have this fucking come in and cut us off at the knees and... And just ruin that momentum is just heartbreaking. Hopefully we'll get through it. I'm hoping we'll get through it. We'll be back up on our feet doing some of this innovative shit down the road. But, I mean, we have to practically get through it, which is the hard part. Um, from well, Mick's my- already rescheduled, right? Yeah, Mick is rescheduled for September. Um, I think on a Sunday in September. And so that was cool of him to kind of early on make those adjustments but we have to get to September, man. We have to get <laughs> that bigger problem. We've got no we unlike uh, unlike restaurants and, and local businesses like that, we've got nothing to sell out the door. And so right now all we're doing is is asking for donations or asking people to buy gift cards for the future. I've applied for all the small business relief, all the free money loans that I can get to hopefully back up what we've saved. But I mean, I've only, I mean, the, t- the clock is ticking. That's the thing people don't realize about almost every small business right now. If you've done well, you have a little bit of pad, like in your, that's just responsible. So that if you have a bad month that you're not going to go out of business, but the clock is ticking now because we literally have no revenue coming in for anything right now. And if you want to get some gift cards or gift certificates um, or t-shirts, um, where can people go to pick those up at? redcurbcomedy.com and there are links all over that place i've just plastered the website with please i'm like jingling jingling the fucking cup in front of everybody's faces just spare some change sir Uh, there's a micro donation site and then there's a gift card site that also has options to just make donations so those are up on the site but obviously you can't tap everybody's strapped right now. Everybody's tapped. And so that only will be effective for so long. And so now we're in talks about how do we innovate? How do we create something that's sellable streaming or videos or whatever? A Patreon account might be a good idea as well. And uh, possibly the 
uncensored Smiley Morning Show podcast would be a perfect addition for that Patreon account. You just have to tell Dave, uh, hey, buddy, you're going to take a break from the castle and uh, <laughs> come down and help out the commoners here in Ava. Yeah. I, well, Dave is all about, um, with all of us doing, you know, figuring this technology out, uh, we've done a couple things on the Smiley page, Liquid Lunches, where it is uncensored, us just drinking together via uh, a program, a teleconferencing program called Blue Jeans. And it's been a lot of fun. And people have enjoyed watching that. But how do you how do you monetize that? That's the other thing. Patreon. How do you make it fair? Well, there you go. Patreon. Um, all right. So are you ready for this tournament? Hell yes. I'm sorry that Daniel couldn't be a part of this. I know yes. Un- unfortunately, uh, so if you listen to the uh, Mesa Cronhouse episode, which was, I believe, at this point, it should be two episodes ago. Um, Mesa and I can, came up with a animal battle tournament that was supposed to be, um, decided by, um, my son's godfather, Daniel Sloss, but unfortunately, literally the morning I was going to Red Curb, because that's where normally I do all of these, uh, Skype interviews, because the podcast room is so good, um, I got a flat tire, which ended up being the first of three in the past week and a half. Well, I would say, I mean, I don't want to like derail this, but your t- has every tire on your car now gotten a flat, or is it the same tire getting a flat over? No, no, no. So I thought it was. I thought it was the tire that I had just gotten replaced last week, which would have been better. But no, it was uh, my most recent one was uh, the third of the four. So three different tires in the past week and a half, and it's because our streets are so fucking shitty this one uh this most recent one came after i dropped somebody off at fedex uh because i'm only doing ubering full-time because you know corona i'm uh, worried about i'm worried about you man i hope that you're like in full ppe hope you're in a goddamn hazmat suit or you uh, i've got a macho man randy savage bandana <laughs> oh god you're gonna die <laughs> you're gonna die this is gonna be in a more in memoriam I'm going to have to play this guess at your funeral. My my age group is fine. I'm trying to get that Rona. Uh, (laughs) Your age group is not fine. (laughs) Man, you got to up. I do. I do disinfect everything. That's a lie. I don't. I'm lazy. Um, But I've monitored my temperature. I do the this test. I'm the audio medium. I'm putting it back in my hand. Huh? Yeah, well, hey, it's been nice knowing you. Uh, <laughs> I will I'm sure that I do whatever I can for your son uh, if he pass. Uh, you know, just you can you can go in peace. Go ahead. Let's let's unplug you right now. <laughs> oh, Sloss is already like messaging me like you son of a bitch. You better not die. I don't want to have to take care of your fucking kid. Um, yeah. Okay, so if you listen to is really boned from a parenting's perspective, he he is religiously obligated to to take yeah. your son. Yeah, and that's law. Uh that's law. That, that comes straight from the best Easter candy. So uh, <laughs> if you listen to the Mesa episode, she and I came up with an animal battle tournament. It is officially now has a name. 
It is the Mesa Crown House inaugural fairly represented animal battle tournament. And it's fairly represented because um, she had some she had some bones about the uh, avian community being fairly represented in the tournament and the insect community being represented. So we have uh, representation from all aspects of the animal world. And you've here's seen how this works, right? You've already preceded everyone. Yeah, yeah. So here's how this is going to work, and I'm going to try to do more of these because I think they're fun. So. Her and I have already seeded these. It's it's a it's sixteen total animals, but they're divided into you know like an east and west uh, bracket or AFC NFC. Um, so there's two number one seeds, and here's each round and each matchup. The higher seed gets home field advantage. So if it's two animals from different worlds, ocean and jungle, the higher seed is the, it's on their turf. Right. Uh, and then basically you pick all of the winners. You decide this tournament. Okay. Yeah, so, sure. We're going to start with, uh, we call it the king bracket. And uh, the number one seed in this uh, in this uh, bracket, I'm going to go ahead and give you all the matchups. That will give you a second to also kind of think. Um, so in this bracket, we have uh, the first matchup is going to be the king of the jungle, the lion, taking on a black widow spider that is the eighth seed that is the lowest seed in the entire tournament then second matchup is the four seed tiger versus the five seed elephant next matchup is the three seed rhino versus the six seed silverback harambe and the reason it's the silverback harambe is because we were making that joke and then as i was writing it down on there without thinking and i didn't realize until a few seconds later i actually wrote silverback harambe so <laughs> dick's out uh, for that matchup, please. Silverback Harambe is the sixth seed. And then uh, the final matchup in the King Division is the number two seed Polar Bear versus the number seven seed King Cobra. Now, over on the other side, we have the Great Division, uh, which is number one seed uh, Great White Shark taking on the eighth seed Harpy Eagle. Next matchup would be the number four seed Crocodile taking on the number five seed A Bull. The number three seed A Hippo takes on a sixth seed A Wolf. And the number two seed, Grizzly Bear, takes on a number seven seed, uh, my personal favorite, Dark Horse, Honey Badger. Honey Badger. Well, let me ask you this. I have a question. The lion's called the king of the jungle, right? That's what I've heard, yes. But why? Because they don't really, they're not really in jungles, are they? Aren't they in, like, plains? Yeah, they're in the, they're in the Serengeti. They're on the, they're, they're safari animals. They live, they live where Lion King takes place, Africa. There's no jungle there. Not, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, so why, why would are they, they the king of the jungle? I don't know. Isn't, isn't Tarzan also technically called the king of the jungle? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he should be in the tournament. We should have had like a playing game. He's like, yeah, he's like a crossover species, I feel like. <laughs> Tarzan <laughs> be in there. He's the real. Yeah, I don't. Who would be the king of the jungle? It, like take Tarzan off the tiger. table. Is a tiger? Tiger is a jungle animal. Yeah, I would say it would be a tiger. I'm sitting here trying to reference the Disney Jungle Cruise now, which I know is probably not scientifically uh, stable, <laughs> but I can't remember. If oh no, I guess a giant orangutan. Yeah, that's right. He's King Louis. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's not. I said the Jungle Cruise, not the Jungle Book. But I get where those are confusing. Oh, okay. But I do feel like uh, 
I thought you meant like the crew in the jungle from the Jungle Book. No one's ever called the the (laughs) characters in the Jungle Book the Jungle Crew. Uh, (laughs) I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. So you think Tiger is the king of the jungle, Lion is the king of the how would you say it? King of the plains. King of the plains. King of the plains. King 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 of the Serengeti. Yes. Yeah, so the first this is your first matchup to pick. Uh this will be obviously taken care of or taking place in the Serengeti Plains. It is a lion versus a black widow. A lion versus the black widow. And I you say I decide all these things. Yeah, you pick you pick the turning. The line is big and scary. I have a bias. I see it. I can't really be a uh, a factor. Okay, so uh, I think uh, and a black widow is uh, dangerous up until a point. I don't know what the lethality of its poison is. Uh, I black- looked that up. So I looked that up for this. It would not be able to kill a lion with one bite. It would. Okay. T- it would need multiple bites. Well, then fuck that spider. Yeah. If, if you looked it up. And it can't kill a lion with one bite, then it is screwed. A lion yeah. could kill that spider in one bite. And I don't know yeah. that I put it, but I mean, step on it. Uh, maybe the lion could get some raid. You know, I feel like a lion could get <laughs> a bottle of raid better than a spider could handle a giant fucking gun. An elephant. <laughs> Whatever it is that you could get to kill a, a lion. I don't know how, I don't know how a black widow spider would ever hold up in this matchup. I agree. No, I agree. And actually, that was again. Mason was very, very insistent. She's she lives out in California, you know, with the rest of them libs. Yeah, so she wanted to make sure all communities were represented. Uh, I, I was, I was, I was against the Black Widow being included. But if you're going to go inside community, it's almost like you have to go Black Widow. Yeah, you know who uh, who would have been a more formidable opponent in this would have been a malaria mosquito. Oh, that mos- would have been good. A mosquito would have been a. Mo- I think that that they could carry all kinds of shit, and they just bite you one little prick, and that is that is it. Lights out. You yeah. Die. I mean, it's a long death. I mean, you're not going to want to watch that lion die, and you're going to have to see it in hospice and all this shit. <laughs> I feel like mosquito could have been a better representation of the insect. Uh, well. I think- and- Arachnid is a is a spider, but the insect population. Well, I think Black Widow kind of got in by name. It's like IU in the NCAA tournament. You know, you're like, oh, you don't deserve to be there, but it's just because uh, a racist, old, horrible human being that looks like a lesbian now threw a chair across the court years ago. Yeah, uh, the number right. four seed called the king of the basketball court. <laughs> oh, he's the general. He's the. I'm sorry. Yeah, he is a general. Uh, number four seed, uh, Tiger versus. I think this to me, this is this this is one of the best, most intriguing uh, early round matchups. It's the number four seed Tiger versus number five seed Elephant. Tiger and Elephant. Oh and boy! And this would be in the jungle, which honestly, it's both. They both share the same uh, turf, so no real. Well, Elephant's you know, not. If you're if you're gonna distinguish. Jungle from plains. An elephant is a plains animal. It's not yeah, a. No, but elephants do go into the jungle. Yeah, but only on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> only, for, only for a river cruise. They're tourist <laughs> jungle. Uh, well, tigers, tigers versus elephants. Boy, uh, so tigers are fast. They've got sharp teeth. 
they can fucking track down an elephant, no problem. But elephants are fast too, and they're huge and resilient. Yeah. And they have tusks. This would be a male elephant, so that is going to have the tusks. Now I'm going to say the there's a height factor here. Um, it would be like if uh, Muhammad one on one. Uh, it would be like if uh, George Foreman was fighting um, uh, Josie from <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, from Kid Rock's Jungle Crew. So the uh, tiger died of liver failure. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, because he was diminutive and felt <laughs> insecure at his play. Because he's not the lion and he's not as big as the elephant. So he kind of gets overseen. Um, I think that an elephant's vital parts are too high for a tiger to, to reach. I think a tiger could nip at an elephant's legs, but they have four legs. So if it's 1v1 and not 4v1... That an elephant withstands the initial, uh, aggress like initial onslaught of a tiger, but then just flicks it across the the stage, like George Foreman lifting Josie by his head, and <laughs> <laughs> which we've all seen countless times on ESPN Classic. That cla that timeless moment of George Foreman lifting Josie by his head. By his head with one palm. He palms his head like a basketball, <laughs> throws him into a barrel of Kid Rock's homemade whiskey, and he <laughs> keeps himself out, but to his own demise. So the I, elephant. I feel like elephant wins that. I feel like elephant wins that fight. Um, I think a pack, it takes a pack of tigers. If you're saying a tiger versus yes. a, a, a one elephant, it takes a pack of tigers to take down an elephant. An elephant crushes that shit every time but, but is injured, injured for the next round just say yeah come, comes out with some scrapes uh, all right number next uh matchup in the king division another actually another really good first round matchup uh number three seed a rhino so we're gonna be back at the serengeti plains uh -huh. it's taking on the number six seed silverback harambe now, this rhino is fighting the actual Harambe from the Cincinnati Zoo. Because <laughs> he, I think he's, I think he's. Yeah, that match was over. Yeah, that, yeah. Before I, I think the rhino's just speaking at Harambe's funeral at this point. What is he going to do? He's going to horn over the casket? What other, what other cruelty? No, this is just a silverback gorilla. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, I like the idea of a rhino fighting Harambe's corpse. <laughs> like, may maybe if Harambe has been, like, not uh, preserved properly, that he's acquired some sort of disease. Well, all those dicks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's and I that perhaps Harambe's corpse could take out the rhino if it was properly poisoned. <laughs> disease uh, but if we're talking about just a, a living silverback gorilla yes now silverback gorillas a couple of uh, bits of information uh, three to six inch uh, canines uh, incisors or canine teeth Yeah, and uh, about the strength of about ten uh, fully grown uh, men the strength of ten men but yeah. one gorilla and then what about a, what have you learned about a rhino? Rhino has a big ass horn. It's got thick skin. It has a low yeah. center of gravity. 
I and would, surprisingly fast, deceptively fast. It's like a white guy in uh, sports where they always go, he's deceptively athletic. And it's like, no, it's only deceptive because he's white. Yeah, he's he's fat deadlift shrimp. I get it. Yes. Uh, so fat deadlift shrimp versus <laughs> a man with the strength of 10 men who I would say is the mountain from Lord, our Game of Thrones. Um, wow. <laughs> I feel like Detlef Shrimp gets his ass kicked in that fight, but that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, have you ever tried to, have you ever carved a pumpkin? Yes. It's fucking hard, right? If yeah. You, what if you had to carve a pumpkin with just your hand? Could you do it? <laughs> I'm, getting, uh, I'm getting somewhere with this. I, me personally, no. Yeah, me neither. You need a knife or you need a drill or you need some shit. I saw a rhino pop a pumpkin with his small toe at the zoo like it was a, an Orby uh, underneath an anvil. It was, it was just like, and I, it was a giant pumpkin, and they, feed, they were feeding these rhinos pumpkins. Or maybe it was just funny because it was Halloween time or something like that. But this rhino just like popped a pumpkin, no problem, uh, with just its small whatever. I don't know if it has a toe or what. So I'm t- the strength of a rhino and its endurance and low center of gravity and defense is on the front with the horn. I and say to speak. runs that bitch through a, like a shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> like a shrimp at St. Elmo's on a fucking asshole cocktail fork. I think I think the I think the I think the the Harambe gets tossed and thrown and just I don't know, run through. Uh, you know, I've only been to St. Elmo's one time. Uh-huh. And you know who took me there? Uh, can I guess? Jared Fogle from Subway. <laughs> yes, and you, then he mo- and, you then were, he- and you were seven years old. Yes, and then he molested me afterwards. Uh, no, oh, it was uh, Billy Gardell. Oh, cool. Mike from Mike and Molly. And then he molested me afterwards. <laughs> no. uh, but yeah. like, okay, Here's the fucked up thing. It was me, him, and Mike Cronin, because we were all working together at a local, uh, locally owned comedy club named after a snack food. Uh, Mike Cronin's a really funny comedian. We're going to have a red curb sometime from Cincinnati. Um, but we were ordering the steaks, uh-huh. and I like was the first one. Yeah. And so I wanted this. I usually get my steaks well done. I don't want to see any blood. I don't want to see any red. I want it done. Me too. But I want to look like a man. So I went medium, and then we got around to, like, Billy, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to go medium well. And I was like, son of a bitch. I could have gotten it. No, but it was still amazing. I've gotten over that shit, and I know that there is some pretense, some pretension around getting, like, a raw fucking steak. But I hate that shit. Me too. We are civilized and advanced. We have invented things like the stove and the grill. (laughs) In order to prepare and properly cook meat, so does not make us shit blood on the back <laughs> at the end of our meal. I want to enjoy it. And people are like, I enjoy it. That's bullshit. People are like, I enjoy Chardonnay. That's bitter. Nobody likes that. That's like eating a spoonful of cro- coffee grounds. That's, <laughs> nobody does that. You like People like sweet stuff, stuff that's cooked and properly seasoned. I'm with you on the cook the meat all the way. And I, I just, I'm over it now. I, even if I'm at a restaurant like that, I'm like, I want it black on the outside. 
I want it cooked yeah. on the inside and I want it black on the outside. And people are like, are you sure that's what you want? I'm like, yes, I have been around long enough to know what I want. So just, just char that meat, man. And cry. I don't want his parents to be able to recognize it and identify the body. Exactly. I want to come serve it to me in an urn. <laughs> All right. Next matchup. I picked okay. Rhino, right? Rhino. Yes, Rhino. This next matchup. Now, this is this one could be definitely uh, a tale of the elements because we're headed up to the Great North. We're headed up to the Arctic. It's the number two seed Polar Bear taking on the number seven seed King Cobra. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So the Cobra is in un un uh, ideal conditions. Yes. For the Cobra. Cobra probably need a, a couple of bites. Ooh, the Cobra might be the king of the jungle. Have we ever that? The Cobra might be the actual king of the jungle. Oh, I mean, they're in deserts too, aren't they? Who was G.I. Joe's biggest nemesis? <laughs> Cobra. And Ralph Macchio's. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> besides the U.S. draft, who was G.I. Joe's <laughs> biggest enemy? It was not just Cobra, Brad. It was King Cobra. Was it? Yeah. He was some sort of unlicensed monarch, I guess, <laughs> in, the terrorist or, in the terrorist organization. But... <laughs> But yeah, we might be we might be missing it with tigers. I would say the in a jungle fight between a cobra and a tiger, I feel like the cobra has a really damn good chance of winning that fight. Well, the tigers already eliminated. This is a polar bear. No, I'm just saying the that's why like the fucking cobra's <laughs> living inside the tiger's body right now. That's the thing. But but good deal. I know, I know we're not talking about that fight, but I'm saying King <laughs> I'm still stuck on who's the king of the jungle. Oh, okay. <laughs> because this whole premise, the thing you set up was the king of the jungle is not the lion. And I agree with that. Agree with that logic. Anyway, Cobra versus polar bear in the polar bear's own conditions. I feel like the Cobra is, is screwed if it's not on his own turf. Do yeah. you, I feel like, but I also think one, I feel like if the Cobra lands a bite, before the the polar bear like stomps him or claws him in half, that they both die. So even if the cobra would land a bite that delivers the venom into the polar bear's veins, it is it's his last act. He does not move on to the next round. <laughs> so uh, does he? Let me ask you this. Does he get the bite and weaken the polar bear going into the next round? Because we already have a damaged elephant heading up in the next round. Oh, yeah. Let's do a poison polar bear. Okay. <laughs> a poison bear? Yeah. A poison bear going into the next round. But do you did you do any research on that round? I mean, is does the cobra have enough venom to take down a, a polar bear? Polar bear is the... Uh, no, it would take a few bites. Oh, well, then fuck that. That, pol that cobra is dead. What, was, right. what what seed was the cobra? Seven. Okay, that's bad. I mean, that's so black so bad. But it is still a poison polar bear moving on, right? Yes. No, I I say let's give the cobra the benefit of the doubt. It's cold. It 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 goes up. It it spreads its fucking head open. It's scary, but then it freezes. 
And then it gets hyper. <laughs> and it's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, I feel hot and cold at the same time. Somebody put I need some oxygen. And then polar bear swipes it onto its neck. It lands its teeth in its neck, but dies right away. Uh, the polar bear's poisoned and going into the next round. All right. So it's like it's like the polar bear, but just one bite, one bite of poison. So it's sort of like he's had one too many cocktails. <laughs> he's kind of stumbling around yeah. for the next yeah. one. <laughs> he's like, where's my where's my snow where's my snow ski? Where's my he's like, no, you shouldn't be driving. <laughs> you could have just stopped nowadays with climate change with where's my snow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. That's what I said. Honestly, I thought a polar bear could have been uh, a counter number one seed, but I feel like when people think of a polar bear now, they just they don't think of that Coca Cola polar bear. They think of that skinny ass, like crackhead looking polar bear that they always show in that one single small ass block of ice to remind yeah. you that we're destroying the planet. Yeah, yeah, but the right, polar, so you know what? You know that that's false advertising because that polar bear can swim. Uh, that's one of my most <laughs> fondest memories at the zoo is watching, oh, yeah. you know, that that swimming pool for the polar bear where we'd come up and do flips and shit in front of you and lick the glass. That was, <laughs> you press your face up against it and pretend like you're getting licked by a polar bear. But really, it just wants to murder you. Yeah, no, it wants to eat you. And it is angry that it's in captivity. <laughs> uh, it's so pretty, pretty much for the associated with coca-cola it's very upset that it <laughs> sold out <laughs> nobody will believe it for the uh for the king bracket pretty much chalk only one upset and that was uh the five over the four seed so uh moving on to the great bracket we have the number one seed great white shark and honestly since it's going to have the home field advantage I felt that there was only really one or two animals that could have had a chance in this matchup. And I think one of them is the number eight seed Harpy Eagle. Do you know about the Harpy Eagle? No. Tell me about the Harpy Eagle. Harpy Eagle is basically, it should be our national bird. I don't know if you're aware of this, but a bald is it, eagle. Is it not? Is that, I thought that was just maybe the formal name for the bald eagle. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bald eagle before it goes bald it's the harpy. harpy no wait i know what what is a harpy like isn't that an old-timey derogatory term for something like if somebody calls you a harpy um that means something bad have you ever heard that i have not <laughs> a harpy what is a harpy not a harpy eagle but a harpy derogatory term like uh, a derpy harpy if is that something for like um, somebody with mental retardation? Uh, I don't say the R word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not even, for, not even when used correctly. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know what it is. Oh god, it, it's not coming right up. But I feel like if you're called a harpy, you're something. Okay, go on. Sorry, harpy eagle. Uh, yeah. So the harpy eagle is basically the most badass eagle. Um, it should be our national bird. A bald eagle is basically a. Uh, a vulture with a good PR agent is how Ron McGill of Zoo Miami describes it. <laughs> uh, so what is its? Uh, oh, here it is. Yes, I was right. A harpy. Oh, and this might give it an edge too. A harpy <laughs> is a mean, 
foul-tempered woman. You might quietly refer to your cranky math teacher as a harpy. The word harpy is a derogatory term for a very unpleasant female. And the eagle in this matchup is a female. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. It's Chloe. It's taking on nature's perfect predator, the great white shark. And the battle is in the ocean, but obviously the harpy eagle can fly above. So the harpy eagle can completely avoid the water? Mm -hmm. But it's going to have to at some point get close enough to the water to strike. So I kind of feel like it's... You know, it's like a timing thing. Whoever gets their timing right, because I'm obviously the great white sharks probably going to be breaching to try to get the harpy eagle. So it's going to have to be if the harpy eagle, I think, can avoid that breach attack and then either, you know, sink its claws into it uh, or get its beak into it. That's kind of how I feel the harpy eagle has a chance. Yeah, but get its beak into it. Into its eye. A great, and its eye. And, uh, have you seen great white sharks? They. You know how much microplastic a great white shark eats every year and lives? Do you know how many <laughs> it gets brushed by? Do you know how many uh, dolphins try to bite its dick off? <laughs> 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 uh, is, is that a known scientific fact? Do you know how many dicks off? Richard Dreyfus boats? It stands <laughs> itself against its top it's thick it's a thick bitch it's <laughs> a thick ass bitch it's got scars head to toe and it he i mean that's like gamey meat i mean i don't know we don't eat great white sharks because we could never chew through it how is a little hard we would get it we would get it well done if we did yeah yeah we would i want to <laughs> i want to not survive this meal i want to choke on it and die uh, Sounds like I, you're going with great white shark. Well, I just don't feel like I feel like a great white shark could just lie, sit there, and let a harpy eagle pluck at it for years without feeling any effects. Yeah. Unless, how does a great white shark breathe? How smart uh, is it through its eagle? gills? Through its gills on the side, right? It's not a blowhole. Yeah. At the top. I was going to say, if, if the harpy eagle was smart enough to get a big cork and drop it, <laughs> <laughs> then it wouldn't do anything. Or maybe a harpy eagle, if it was, I don't think, are we talking about these are, these animals don't have unnatural intelligence, right? They're not like strategic planners. They're just fighting physically. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, a harpy eagle could maybe lead a great white shark into like, the giant propelling fan of a <laughs> marine, if it was smart enough, or no, how it, would have, it would land on those electric, like that electric pole from Jaws two. Yeah, it would have a, it would have a paddle that it would hit. Yeah, or like the, it would like fly just out of the shark's reach to like shallow water where it beat itself, and then, <laughs> and then it would just watch it suffocate on the sand and like smoke a cigarette. But that's, I mean, if that's if that's the only way a harpy eagle could win, I don't. I feel like great white shark wins this battle. That's the reason it's a one seed and has its own bracket. I feel like maybe it's uh, that the the harpy eagle would die of exhaustion before it would kill a great white shark just by trying to penetrate the robust thick bitch skin of a great white shark. 
Sounds like my prom night. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> so, uh, next matchup. You need to have a higher. You need to have a higher perception of yourself. If uh, <laughs> I wish you had more confidence in high school. Have you, have you heard my act? Uh, act. <laughs> that sounded so just <laughs> down. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, so the next matchup. This is an interesting one because this one will take place. Um, it's almost two locations because the number uh, four seed, which is the higher seed in this matchup, is a crocodile. And it's taking on a bull. But it's not going to be strictly water or land. And it's going to be kind of a, you know, a, um, a, a swamp that comes up with a shore as well. So the bull does have some footing. But we do have, we do have a beach area where uh, this can be a fight taking place yeah. in on damp ground that's what you're saying is that it's where it's where the swamp, swamp meets the earth <laughs> it's, um it's muddy now i say it's place in indiana beach yeah they, they're not using it for anything else in that case they both die from secondhand smoke inhalation <laughs> and um, by the way if you're not an indianapolis listener indiana beach I know you're like, what the fuck is Indiana Beach? That makes no sense. You're right. It doesn't. It was an amusement park that we used to have on a lake in Indiana uh, with the most, like, think of a county fair and think of that county fair had no budget for its rides. That's right. Just that, you know, the rides at a at a touring midway to county fairs uh, are better maintained than what Indiana <laughs> Beach was able to do with rides that stayed in the same place all year round. The Carnies all looked like uh, Joe Exotic's first husband. <laughs> so these, so they're fighting in Indiana Beach. They both get sick from salmonella from the buffet, <laughs> and then they <laughs> succumb to secondhand smoke inhalation. <laughs> they put them on a stretcher that they first got as World War II leftovers, and they fall through the stretcher onto the pavement and eventually succumb to their injury. <laughs> both of them die. In the scenario at Indiana Beach, uh, well, let's move the location from Indiana Beach. Then let's go. To the well, swamp we're back before. to the we're back to the muddy ground. Bull yes, versus muddy ground in the swamp, where the swamp meets the mud. I think bulls are angry. I think bulls uh, are all amygdala and no cerebral cortex. I think they're unthinking. I think they're animals that are just brute force, dumb fucking idiots. They're basically um, rugby players. That's what they are. <laughs> they have no they have no strategy <laughs> other than to come at you. That's why they they mess with bulls. Like human beings mess with bulls at rodeos because they're so fucking stupid. In in Pamplona, Spain, they run they have a whole herd of bulls. <laughs> Most humans survive. They just run forward. That's yeah, there is no running with crocs. Yeah. I mean there is, but it's a whole different thing. Crocodiles are intentional. I mean, a crocodile ate a child out of its parents' hands at the Grand Floridian in Disney World. That's and that's a Disney crocodile. Yeah, that that's a crocodile that we thought was safe and was going. He was to, singing right before he yeah, did. Was going to sing us a song about brushing her teeth. <laughs> And it was all just a ruse to manipulate a human being <laughs> or child closer 
that <laughs> the shit out of that child. Now I'm not. I I feel for that family. I think it's a tragic story, but I think it's an illustration of how devious and strategic crocodiles are. <laughs> I bulls so are crocodile moves on. But no, yeah, crocodile's gonna. I'm sorry, this is taking too long. I know maybe you weren't expecting the amount of detail and thought to get. <laughs> no, I love the detail. I love it. I love it. But the bull here's the crocodile, fucking lures the bull into the swamp because the bull gets mad and runs right into the swamp. And then crocodile it, holds up a red cape. Yes, <laughs> crocodile holds its red cape up from the baby's blanket. Yeah. <laughs> He mined it from, it was the child that did the blanket, flashes it, the bull gets mad, runs straight forward into the swamp, and the crocodile drags it down and doesn't kill it right away, but lets it drown. And it, <laughs> Watches it drown and the, and while smoking a cigarette that he got. Yeah, it sings you a song, like, your lungs are filling up with water now. It's only a matter of time. Deny this, you're gonna die like coronavirus. That's actually how that works. I'm scared to get this virus. I'm glad we're doing this remotely. Your lungs actually fill up with water. To be fair, when you worried about me earlier, I have so many other diseases. I feel like they can't they they cancel out. The uh, coronavirus. Number three seed. Do you think diseases bite other diseases in your body? You're going to yeah. die, man. <laughs> I've been collecting that's not how it Cancer does not fight diabetes. If that's how you think this works, maybe. Then should... why am I smoking so many cigarettes a day? It's, it's been my well, only line of defense for the, for the babies. You have no hope. That's why. It's a hopeless situation. <laughs> Um, number three seed Hippo. So he'll have the home uh, field advantage. So I guess this would be back on the Serengeti. Picking uh, on the number six seed, a wolf. Well, Hippo also has water. It has a water element to it. They live right. in... So we have a water reserve in this Serengeti Plains. Okay, Hippo versus what? A wolf. One wolf. Not bad. Oh, no. Wolf. Uh, a Hippo versus a wolf. No, let me tell you something about Hippos. They're, hippos are fucking, they're like bulls. They're the bulls of the water. and uh, But they're sort of like have a little crocodile in them where they're nefarious. And if they're threatened, they'll just swallow you. There, there are multiple stories of, uh, what are they called? Uh, uh, tour guides who take you down rivers to see hippos who have been pulled out of the boat by angry hippos and just dragged beneath the water and crunched to death. They don't have sharp teeth, but they it's basically like mm, uh, pistons coming together. Also yeah. What is yeah, they are they're gonna I think a hippo wins against one wolf easily. Yeah, they're very hungry as well. I mean I guess you could oh, yeah. say say it twice. They're hungry, hungry. Yeah, those motherfuckers just swallow marbles without even thinking about it. <laughs> You swallow a marble, and your doctor makes you monitor your shit for two weeks. A hippo swallows a marble, and it's nothing. It dissolves in its acidic belly. Do you remember uh, when it, uh, Andy Samberg used to do the Nicholas Cage in the in the cage on Weekend Update? 
Yeah. Do you remember when Liam Neeson was on there? No, I and don't. He actually had Liam Neeson on there as his guest, and he's talking about, you were in Battleship. How was I not that movie? But then he's like, uh, I'm going to be filming the movie Hungry, Hungry Hippos. I play a rogue marble sent from hell to avenge <laughs> the death of my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. No, I well, yeah, in a wolf, a wolf. Did you play that game as a kid? A wolf hunts in packs. I feel like a wolf, well, a lone wolf, vulnerable. So it's like the tiger hunt matchup. Yeah, a lone wolf. I mean, that's. I mean, if you're called a lone wolf as a human being, it means that you're a very isolated, vulnerable person, probably very sensitive. So this is a single wolf. I think probably insecure, trying to prove something. A hippo. <laughs> Stop annoying me and then swallow <laughs> and grinds it between its flat fucking teeth <laughs> like a trash factor. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. Trash. Right, number final matchup in the great bracket. Number two seed Grizzly Bear taking on the number seven seed Honey Badger. Now, I don't know enough about honey badgers, and I know you're very excited about honey badgers, so I'm going to need more information about... <sighs> you're in my wheelhouse, my friend. Uh, the honey badger is basically insanity in the body of a badger. Very thick claws. Uh, now, what would have been a great first-round matchup, although it would have been really lopsided, would have been a honey badger versus a king cobra, because here's the thing about honey badgers. They can be bitten by king cobras, and it makes them take a nap, and then they wake up. Holy shit! What? And they can, they eat king cobras as part of their diet. Uh, they also are the Guinness oh my God. Book of World Records, huh? Uh, so, uh, king cobra's venom to a honey badger it's is like, like it's like taking a Vicodin. Yeah. Yes. Well, depends, because like for me, a Vicodin is like speed. Oh, I've never, I've actually never taken a Vicodin before in my life, but I've Ever? heard it's too sleepy or, or really relaxed. It's so, yeah, it's, it's usually either nauseous, uh, fatigue, or like a speed reaction to it. I have the speed reaction to it. So it like hypes me up and wakes me up a lot. But do you I had to be on three a day. I was on three, uh, they used to call them Norcos. They were like the strong, one of the strongest before you get to like Oxycontin and stuff. I was on three a day of those for like a year and a half after I was in a car accident. Oh my God. But there's no Viking in this matchup. But a honey badger uh, is, by Guinness Book of World Records, the most fearless uh, animal on the planet. So here's my. I'm up here's the thing one. there's a difference, Brad. Between being fearless and being physically capable of handling an altercation, being fearless—you could be like, "I'm an astronaut." Okay, I'm on the I'm on the space station. We're a team of astronauts. All right. Oh fuck! Some space debris just took out our satellite. All right, uh, Admiral Brad, we don't have any spacesuits left. Will you go out there and fix the satellite? Oh, we don't have any spacesuits left. What do you say? Are you I'm an alien. I can breathe in space. <laughs> God damn it. The lack of oxygen has gone to Admiral Brad's head. <laughs> I'm Commandant Will. Uh, yes, I'm fearless. I will go out there with a spacesuit and fix that satellite. 
That's dumb. I'm going to lose that fight to space big time. My insides will freeze. My body will blow up and I will be plummeting to the earth in no time as a big, shitty, hard meteorite. Now that's fearlessness. That is not physical capability. But let me make my case. Okay. So do you know that one of, so do you know what they say that you're supposed to do if you're encountered with a bear? You're supposed to go, ah! you're supposed to scare it. Well, yeah, actually you are. And you're supposed to like put your hands up and make yourself look big, right? Right. It's because a bear is not aware of its own physical presence. A honey badger does not give a fuck about physical presence. It's going after you. You try to make yourself look big for a honey badger. He's like, all right, that's just a bigger motherfucker I'm about to take out. Now, a honey badger's it's like a little uh, like a little redneck junkie or whatever uh, trying to run away from a police dog. This is what you're describing right now. Is wait, that wait? Who's who's the bear? And who's the honey badger <laughs> and the junkie and the police dog? Because I feel like the police dog's more like the honey badger in that situation, and the junkie's more like the bear. No, I feel like the junk. I I didn't say it right. It's like a yeah. it's like okay, a bath salt junkie coming after to fight a police dog where it's like i'm just gonna go after it regardless of the situation i feel like that's what you how you're describing a honey badger that it's thoughtless and mean and it just no no one of the smartest animals on the planet as well ah and And their first instinct when they go after an animal is right to the genitals oh wow so it's sex craved too yeah, and so, you okay, let me this in my ass. Have you been angrily blown to death, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> well, they tried to get me to do that in Tampa, but I refused. <laughs> well, that's too bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying I would have survived it. <laughs> well, I don't know, because I don't know what I would have gotten. Again, in these times, I'm, my mind is always very sensitive about disease and anything I can pick up. So not sure what I could or couldn't survive at this point. I, I get, I, I love what you're saying. This honey badger has a chance against a grizzly bear, but a grizzly bear is fucking huge. It's sharp clawed. It's angry. I think it's unforgiving. Is, is this a male or female grizzly bear? Uh, it's girl male. Okay, well, then this is better than if it were female because it's not, I mean, if it was protecting its cubs, that's one no thing. No cubs so, involved. This is, a, this is a bachelor. So this grizzly bear wants to fuck again is what you're saying. Yeah, and he gives out roses to <laughs> several different bears. Yeah, this grizzly bear is like, yo, man, I was just <laughs> out here trying to eat some picnic baskets. Uh, I'm chilling. I'm trying to get drunk off of some hiker's beer. And this honey badger's like, step at me, bro. I think, <laughs> and this grizzly bear's like, listen, I was going to get drunk and try to go fuck. And uh, I think that the grizzly bear wants to live another day. So in this case, I think it's, it's a matter of, of concession. I think the grizzly bear steps off because the honey badger's like that crazy kid in your middle school who's just like, I want to fight you. I'm going to fight you. And you're just like, this is not worth my time. You can win. Whatever. You can have my bike. So the grizzly bear concedes. Yeah, the grizzly bear concedes. The wow. Fight. 
Forfeit. This is our first real upset of the tournament. Yeah, have you? Has that? I mean, I bet that wasn't the expected answer. I'm still not. I, I'm convinced the Honey Badger is a little dick who could win a lot of fights, but probably not if the grizzly bear was a female grizzly bear protecting her cubs. But as it was a male drunk who's just <laughs> looking to live another day, I'd say Trying no. Trying to get laid. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Boy, that was the first round. Yeah. And, uh, again, almost all chalk except for two matchups, and one of them was a five over a four, but then the Honey Badger, the Dark Horse, making his case. All right, so back to the uh, the King bracket. Second-round matchup, uh, Elite Eight matchup, we have... Now, this is where it gets interesting, because it's a lion versus a damaged elephant. The elephant's already taken some damage, from the previous round against the Tigers. So he's going in wounded. Yep. All right. Here we go. Um, I think this lion, this lion does a lot of damage. This lion does a lot of damage. And uh, the elephant is struggling. It's off balance. It's got a, a leg or two that has been hurt. I think that eventually the lion gets the elephant to the ground where it can get a good neck shot. I think if you get up under the soft part of an elephant's neck, it's all over. So that's how the coaches get them, you know? A bunch of, like, skinny-ass ivory poachers can, can take an elephant down with a few spears or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> spears? Why don't they use guns? Yes, spear guns, for sure. This is my imagination. <laughs> imagine it works. I feel so like the lion. I feel like a compromised elephant gets taken out by the lion, um, the king of the Serengeti. <laughs> so more Simba than Scar. Uh, what? No, this is all this is all Scar. Scar dies. Yeah, eventually, but yes, Mufasa dies first. Don't forget. <laughs> never never forget I, I just it's like it's it's personally the my 9-11 of the animal community i never forget mufasa died first yeah but he gets to become a plains ghost he becomes <laughs> like a plains ghost and i don't remember scar ever coming back as a ghost after he dies which seems like that d- defies the logic what if you're just a dick lion you don't get to be a <laughs> ghost? that's all right, next matchup, Rhino versus, again, first-round implications. A Rhino takes on a poison polar bear. Now, this is this is, this is is a very interesting matchup because not only is this a poisoned polar bear, so he's coming in drunk, it is in the Arctic because he's still the higher seed. So the Rhino has to travel. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, it's like when a team has to go from L.A. to New York. They say that travel can wear on you. The Rhino has to go from the Serengeti to the Arctic to take on the drunk polar bear. Yeah, but the polar bear is, is again, intoxicated. Its faculties are compromised. It does not have the coordination that it once did. It's just barely trying to stand. It can't even do the alphabet forward, let alone back. (laughs) It's... You know, I feel like the rhino has to get it over quickly, right? Like, it has to be a quick match. The longer it goes, 
favors the polar bear. He gets time to recover. So I think if the rhino can get can, get, can take them out quickly, it's it's the rhino's game. I think the rhino again. I and I was. I mean, the fear that I had I felt when I watched that rhino pop that pumpkin was unprecedented. <laughs> it was unexpected. Now those assholes just stand around and they look like they're they're just lazy pieces of shit but they're actually just confident they're just like <laughs> they don't need to prove anything to anyone it's like it's like a living mountain with a horn on it that's what they are i feel like the rhino easily gores a poison polar bear to death eventually shoves them shoves it off of an icy cliff where its carcass is impaled by a number of sharpened ice sickles. <laughs> <laughs> so that nobody knows who did it. Now, that's right. And, and then he pours out an entire two liter of Coke onto its body in celebration. I thought it would be in memory. Uh, great white shark versus a crocodile. This will take place in the ocean. Ooh, shit. Crocodile is a freshwater creature. It, it's going to die. Boom. You can't put a crocodile in the ocean. That crocodile is fucked. Big time. One bite. This, this, this fight doesn't even last. It's like if IUPUI got into the NCAA tournament. And it did. Did you know that? I didn't. Was that this year? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's right. We'll always, we'll never know if IUPUI would have won or not. This is the perfect metaphor. It's like IUPUI gets into the tournament and then the coronavirus. <laughs> the perfect metaphor for a great white shark. It's like the crocodile wins the first round. Yes, uh, a crocodile moves on. We didn't expect it. And now you're fighting a great white shark in salt water. It's over. <laughs> It's over. That crocodile just dies from the environment. But it did get into the IBUI did get in once, and I was there for the game. It was when uh, my friends and I had gone to Panama City for spring breaks. So this is probably 2001 or two. Uh, now, I, I got really bad grades in high school, so I had to go to Vincennes Community College. And so I even had a different spring break than my friends. And this shows how much I valued education. I took an extra week off of school where I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just go to Florida. I was supposed to be back at school and I was in a play. I got demoted for my part in a play because I was like, I'm not going to be here for a week of rehearsals. They're like, but spring breaks the week before. I was like, well, not for me. <laughs> and we went to Panama yeah. City, but IEPY was playing in, I think, Atlanta or something on the way back. And so we left like a day early because all my friends went to IEPY and we watched them get destroyed by Kentucky. Uh, I mean, it was like you said, I mean, it was over because for one, it was hard for IEPY to play basketball in saltwater, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was over quick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's over quick. Great white shark. Easy peasy. Kick all it right. out. Let's find out who makes it to who's going to, you know, fill that final spot in the final four. Hippo, and this is again to take care take place in the Serengeti with a water reserve. A hippo takes on the Cinderella, the honey badger. Oh man, you have an affinity for the honey badger. I have an affinity for the hippo. 
I've heard some crazy shit about hippos. And uh, yeah, I, I as much as I love honey badgers, if I had to be, if I wasn't picking with my heart on this one, I mean, a hippo is just a, it's just a tank on, on hooves. Yeah, it's a hoof tank for sure. <laughs> and it's got it's got <laughs> trash compactor or those junkyard compactors that smash cars. Those two flat teeth. I mean, there's no surviving it. You just become a liquid in their mouth. They show you the hippo on your first day, but they tell you you can't use it. Wait, what'd you say? Nothing. I I just said you become a liquid in their mouth. And I said, that (laughs) is how I describe my prom night. (laughs) No, it's dumb. That's stupid. That didn't happen on my prom night. I've never been laid. I don't know what sex is. What's (laughs) The only opportunity I ever had for a blowjob was from that junkie in Tampa. <laughs> you always wonder what if. <laughs> yeah. So hippo. I think hippo. Yeah. As much as I hate to admit it, I think Cinderella's uh, slipper finally breaks. I feel like a hippo doesn't even feel a honey badger's attack. Or it's like maybe you step on a tack and you just quickly flick it aside i feel like the hippo could accidentally kill the honey badger before he realizes that the match even began oh yeah the hippo's just opening up a you know a sandwich and sits down for lunch <laughs> on the honey badger <laughs> it sits down, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like oh wait i'm supposed to be fighting right now they're like well not anymore uh, nope, nope, nope. all right final four Back to the Serengeti, although even playing field for both. This is uh, the lion versus the rhino. Ooh, baby. Now, I think that a single lion cannot take out a rhinoceros. I don't think it's possible. I think its skin is, I think a rhino's skin is like a phalanx, it's a shield. It's rich. It's like the great like a what? A phalanx. Have you ever heard of a phalanx? No. You know, in uh, medieval fighting, uh, the soldiers would all put up their shields at the same time to block arrows and shit. Have you seen that in movies? Well, so uh, honestly, what I thought it was at first was like that blue shield they have in Wakanda. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Kind of the same principle though, but I know you're talking about about, yeah. I always confuse unobtainium and adamantium. Uh, they're both Disney fake elements from Disney movies. Which one's uh, adamantium from? It's from Avatar. I think they literally called that element they're mining for on that moon unobtainium. Dumb. Okay. And then the one in Black Panther is called what? Adamantium, I think. Is that adamantium? Yeah, that sounds right. Same metal that. Uh, uh, Wolverine's claws are made out of, and Captain America's shield is made out of, and blah, 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 nerds, 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 and I'll never be late. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yes, I think that that the rhinoceros is the animal kingdom's adamantium, unobtainium shield. And the lion is but a flesh bag wearing a fur coat. And in this (laughs) case, Gets gets impaled again. Gets rammed to death. So the rhino throws blood on that fur coat. Exactly. The rhino is a an environmental activist 
letting you know what the situation is. Who at the same time was also a murder because he throws its own blood on that yeah, fur coat. It, yes, but the, the rhino will protest itself. I feel like the only the only thing that could take out a rhino is a rhino. Now this one, this matchup may come down to location. Okay. Our other final four matchup in the ocean, the great white shark versus the hippo. Ooh, damn. This is good. Because a hippo has has water is okay in the water. But is it okay? But it's, oh, it's, it's a fresh okay water. in fresh water. Yeah, this is salt water. Ooh, shit. Yeah, now, the how- hippo's got to be able to stay afloat the whole time. And I feel like a great white shark's bite would have enough to, you know. Because that's the other thing you have to, like, when the gray white shark attacks, it has to be able to get its mouth around the hippo. It has to be able to crush the hippo. Well, a hippo of, there's a lot be of different submerged. factors in play. A hippo can be submerged for a certain amount of time and survive. So it could be underwater, but I don't think at the ocean depths. I think that it needs a shallower pool. And so I feel like if the great white shark has home field advantage, home ocean advantage, it's it's obviously gonna. I think it's gonna win this fight. I think, and it's the swiftness with which it can move through the water. A hippo is pretty stable. A hippo, a hippo can't move as swiftly through the water as a great white shark. And a great white shark, honestly, I mean, the hippo couldn't even, you know, like the longer the match goes, favors the great white because it can shut half of its brain off. It sleeps with only half of its brain at a time. So it could shut half of its brain off still because it has to keep moving. A great white shark has to keep moving. That's so, really a, anyone's only de- chance against a great white shark is to stop it from moving. Oh, I see. Yep. So uh, a great white shark fights like Mike Tyson. It turns, <laughs> half, turns half of its brain off and just keeps swimming. Oh, I thought you meant because it bites things ears off. But Oh, and then it'll bite the hippo's ears off and then it'll be, you'd be convicted of uh, sexual assault in Indiana. And we'll have, Robert yeah, we'll have to spend a few years in the 90s in Plainfield Correctional Facility. <laughs> in By the but way, do you remember, actually getting a you remember face- the day he got released? Uh, I Vaguely, very vaguely. A radio station was giving away shirts that said Tyson's Free, and it was sponsored by Tyson Chicken. I'm not making that up. That is very funny. Good for that radio station. Do you remember which one it was? I want to say it was either 99.5 or it was ZPS or uh, uh, X103. Probably X103. That sounds like, sound like an X103 bit for sure. Yeah. Um, finals. And mm-hmm. again, it feels like it's going to come down to location. It's in the ocean. How do you? Well, how is it in the ocean? Because the great white shark was a one seed. Don't you always play the championship in on uh, neutral? neutral? All right, okay, you know what? That's a good point. It's a fair point. It's the first. It's the inaugural version of the tournament, so we have to have that consideration. So yeah, it's going to be split. One half of the uh, of the uh, of the field is going to be the Serengeti, and there's a shoreline that goes into the saltwater ocean. Whoa. Whoa. We have a rhino versus a great white shark. Now, we could also do a thing where we give the great white shark legs and the rhino gills for this matchup to make we, it fair. 
We've held this tournament over the course of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. The great white shark has evolved to have legs so that it can walk out of the ocean and on a dry land. And the rhino has evolved to have gills so it can swim in the ocean. The rhino has created civilization and manufactured a series of militaristic weapons. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Well, if you're going to give the shark legs after evolution, you got to give the rhino something. I was saying gills. <laughs> I feel like that's a more, I feel like it's a more like uh, equal comparison to the shark having legs than giving the rhino a full military behind I feel like with nuclear backwards. capabilities. That's de-evolution. I feel like that's backwards evolution. It's saying <laughs> things are going back into the ocean. That's not how shit works. <laughs> All life started. Have in you the seen ocean. Waterworld? Yeah, but that's because of global warming. But <laughs> it doesn't count because it's a Kevin Costner movie. Um, are you are you down on Kevin Costner? Oh, he's all right. I like I him. He's the most overrated actor of all time. I think Field of Dreams is the most overrated movie of all time. Yeah, I know, and I don't even think that line is "If you build it, they will come." I don't think that's. I don't even think that's a line. But everybody thinks that's a line. Do you know what the that is the line, isn't it? I don't know. It's sort of like Luke, I am your father. I feel like if this thing is built, then they will come from the fields or something like that. It's not literally if you build it, they will come. I think that was an abbreviated cultural version of that line from the movie. Isn't it Luke, I am your father, though? No, it's not. In Star Wars, it's um, I am I am your father. That's it. There's no Luke, I am your father. Well, no, I think it's just a pause, isn't it? Is it Luke, I am your father? No. No. It's not. It's it's I am your father. That's it. I don't feel like I could challenge you on this because I feel like you definitely have way more of a knowledge and you have that one ready to go, like out the gate. Yeah, it's not it's not that line at all. It's not Luke, I am your father. That's just what we all remember it as. And I think that. In Field of Dreams, they don't actually say, if you build it, they will come. I feel like it's something to the effect of, if you were to build this stadium, they will. <laughs> I don't think they gave up that specific of directions, though. I feel like you had to figure it out over the course of the movie. Well, hold on. If you're visited by some ethereal spiritual entity, and all the direction they gave you was, if you build it, they will come, what do you think you're supposed to build? A, a dildo? What is, what is What do you... If you build it, they will come? Uh, honestly, yeah, that would make more sense. A sex dungeon? <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Uh, when he built that dildo, he probably thought it was somebody different than the 1905 or whatever black socks coming out. Wait, it's baseball players? <laughs> It's like I've got all these dildos. And then the baseball, the guy's like, "I'm sorry, guys, I didn't build, I didn't build uh, flashlights. I built dildos." And they're all like, "No, no, no, don't change it. <laughs> It'll work." We'll and just then, use them as bats. And it's just the whatever the black socks from the 1920s all ramming each other with wooden <laughs> dildos. <laughs> Field That's such a better of, movie. Yeah. Field of Creams. 
All right, I feel like you're now trying to avoid this last matchup because it is a tough one. Establish the playing field as uh, a Serengeti Plains that meets the ocean. And in this context, if, if the shark has enough, I think, ability to be mobile and not beached a little bit where it's immobile, um, that I think that eventually the shark hurts the legs of the rhino, as much as I'd hate to say it, and the rhino falls into the falls into the the wake, gets pulled by the uh, undertow into the ocean where the shark eventually finishes him off. And if you notice, the the rhino's horn is always curved up, so it would be very difficult for it to get all the way down to have the leverage to pierce the shark at a ground level. I feel like the rhino has a disadvantage in this. Holy cow! So, are, we, are you ready to crown a champion? Is that your final decision? Yeah, that's. I think it is. I don't think. I don't. I feel like. I feel like it'll be a tough fight. But if the rhino has to have any amount of its body in the water to reach the shark, the shark always. That see that thing. The shark just has an advantage from playing field the whole time. If the rhino had the higher rank, the shark would be fucked. But we'd be playing on a neutral ground anyway, so. Yeah. So it's the great white shark. Ooh, what if our neutral playing field was like at uh, SeaWorld, where the great white shark was in a big fish tank that was that of salt water? It was basically a, a human-concocted fish tank versus the rhino outside of it. And then I would say the rhino has a chance to break the tank. just puncture the glass and let all the water out? Yeah. And as the shark came tumbling out of the waves of aquarium water, it would be slit upon the glass. It'd be <laughs> plopping violently on the floor as children in the splash zone screamed and spilled their popcorn. And the rhino violently <laughs> gored it in its side. That and doesn't feel like a neutral playing field, though. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. What else could there be? I'm saying if it's a natural. Well, we already, we already, we already came up with it. It's we give the shark legs and we give the rhino a military. <laughs> yeah, well, that's evo- that's evolution. Evolution is everyone's plan. <laughs> evolution will get us all. Okay, so the winner. So we crowned the- Darwin. We crowned Darwin the winner. <laughs> the winner of the Mesa Cronhouse. Inaugural fairly represented animal battle tournament is the great white shark, the apex predator, nature's perfect predator. Jaws wins it all. I don't think you can really argue with that. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to compete with a, an animal that's the number one seed in the ocean. I feel like it could have been vulnerable had it been the number two seed. Or something. If it, if it could have been ranked lower and had to play outside the ocean, there could have been a different... Yeah. Home field definitely carried it far. It had the 12th in. It was like playing in uh, Seattle. And as they say, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually so glad it worked out this way because as much as I love him and as brilliant and funny as he is, I don't feel like Sloss would have given me the dedication that you gave me on this tournament. Yeah. That was amazing. Uh, Will, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, as always, remember what? If you don't think this podcast is funny, what, Will? Uh, 
Do it yourself, fucker. Damn it, comedy is subjective. No one listens oh, to this Oh, sorry that I fucked up the tagline. It's better that way. <laughs>